Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Andy. Andy Hollis. And this is track walking. Andy has the particular distinction of uh, we are now using a feature on the board that we have not used before. So I have Seth on Skype on my computer and Andy on a phone call on my phone. And we are in different, well, I'm in a different part of the country. You two are at least in God's land of Texas. Um, how are you doing, Andy? Good. I just got back from uh, Atlanta this past weekend with the SCCA time trials. Um, so I had a 13 and a half hour drive today on top uh, of, a, I don't know, four hours last night, uh, before I crashed, geez. uh, figuratively speaking. Right. <laughs> um, Good. and, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it, honestly 14 hours kind of my limit for drives to and from events on a day to day basis. Sometimes I'll push it to 15. Um, but it's something I've been able to do for years and, you know, it actually makes one lap a whole lot easier just cause you know, cracking out uh, long drives is just no big deal for me. Yeah. Are you driving the, uh, the RV? Yes. And which, which makes it easier too. Um, you know, you just kind of, park it in the right hand lane and set it on 60 or 60 actually today was 65 just trying to beat traffic i was you know looking at my eta and i needed to get back to austin uh before traffic built up too badly so uh i slotted in right around 4 four thirty. started sneaking my way into town and was able to avoid any major backups so it worked out pretty well nice. um although leaving yesterday for road atlanta we we left at five o'clock and went smack dab into the belly of the beast um so luckily i had ways running and so it it routed me through some of these um uh big uh they're surface roads but they're like you know four lane surface roads boulevards and stuff oh, and uh yeah uh, it, it actually worked out really good. I mean, I, you know, thank God for ways, uh, you know, whoever invented that needs, uh, I need to like send that guy a, a, a personal check and a thank you because it saves my butt all the darn time. Yeah. So ways yeah. is about indispensable on the one lap. Yep. Yep. Um, totally. I mean, especially for, for you front runners kind of, uh, bulldozing the road for cops for us slower people in the back. It's great. <laughs> Well, yeah. Andy, just to get a little bit of background on you, I know I know bits and pieces. I know Seth knows maybe some of the same and different pieces. Um, you, what's your actual? Where did you start with cars? I know you're kind of a an autocross guy, but you're I'm sure you have a longer history than that. Um. Let's see. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so my dad was a car guy. Um, he had sports car. He had Triumphs. Uh, had a couple uh, of, he had like a, a, a TR3A and a... God, those are tiny. What's, what, what's the boxy thing? Uh, it's TR4 or 5? I don't know. Something like that kind of boxy TR thing. Set, I have really cool. The, the wedge one? The wedge No, one no, no. The like bo boxy one. It was, it was kind of after... Like I don't think they made a 4. They made like a 5 or something. after What it came after the yeah. 3A. Whatever that was. He had that. 
Um, I have a funny story about the 3A. I remember hiding under the tonneau cover in the back of it one time when my dad went out for a drive and I popped it open and said, hey, <laughs> you know, after we had been 20 minutes out on the road. <laughs> uh-huh. That was a big surprise to him. He wasn't real thrilled, but nice. I thought it was cool. Um, anyway, so my dad was into cars. Uh, my brother, my older brother, he's uh, a year older than I am. Um, he was into cars. He was into drag racing and Chevrolets which meant that by the time I came uh, into uh, getting my driver's license, I couldn't be a Chevy guy, so I became a Ford guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't be a drag racer because that's what he did. So uh, in, initially, I, I started kind of going to car shows and stuff like that, and then eventually I discovered autocrossing. Um, my first car was a 65 Mustang, which uh, my parents bought me as a graduation gift from high school, I think we spent $600 on it, um, and uh, it was a, uh, a four-cylinder, auto- no, six-cylinder automatic um, notchback, um, which by the time I was done with it was a V8 uh, four-speed with a nine-inch rear mm-hmm. Shelby hood and big wheels and tires mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff on it. So um, wow, you still- what I learned... Yeah, you really and, you really dove into this head first, didn't you? Well, I had to though because what happened was we bought it from this real shyster um, used car lot, and it turns out the guy had swapped the motor for like it wasn't even the big two quote big two hundred uh, cubic inch six cylinder from the Mustang it was a motor out of a Falcon, which is one hundred and seventy cubic inches, and and that motor apparently was um, burning oil horrendously. Uh, he must have put like 50 weight oil in it or something like that because it was fine until the first time I changed the oil. And then it just burned oil like crazy. So, you know, I, I tried various oil treatments and thicker oils and this and that. And eventually it just got so bad that I had to swap the motor out. And if you're going to swap the motor, you may as well go to a V8, right? I mean, come on, you got to go through all that yeah. hassle. But then I started learning about, oh, well, that motor's heavier. So now the springs have to be changed. And the rear end has to be changed because it can't handle the torque and blah, 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 blah. And so one thing after and I was learning all these lessons, the hardware. And of course, at that point, I was a poor college kid, no money. And so I learned about the junkyard um, and I learned about <laughs> go down there and, you know, get get the parts that I needed and stuff like that. So, um, well, here's here's the thing, though. <laughs> tell, tell your wife hello. Um Hi, honey. Mom, we're doing a podcast. That's uh, it. <laughs> we're, so we didn't, you didn't have grassroots motorsports forum back then. Um, I uh, didn't have no. Facebook back then. So how, how the heck were you like learning about all this stuff? Like yeah, so, swapping springs and motors and crap. The hard way. I mean, yeah. the, the, so there was a couple of books that I was able to get a hold of. There's one called how to make your car handle by Fred Poon, P U H N, um, which I still refer to to this day. I have still have my copy of that and all. And then a couple other ones, there was one by Herb Adams. that was pretty good. Um, and, uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of Mustang specific stuff. I did get some of that from talking to friends who owned Mustangs and stuff. Um, and, uh, in fact, that's actually how I came into autocrossing. Um, so my second car, you know, being a Ford Mustang guy, I had to, uh, I lusted after having a Shelby. And in those days, a Shelby Mustang was just a used car. 
You know, it's just a cool used car. They weren't collector's items or anything kind of crap. Mm-hmm. Cobras were at that point. Um, but Shelby Mustangs were just cool used cars. And um, I lusted after one, and one came up for sale not too far from me. Um, and I figured out a way of buying it. It was $5,000. Uh, and in those days, again, you mentioned earlier, no internet, mm-hmm. none of that kind of stuff. Banks didn't talk to each other. Um, and there was a thing called a signature loan and you could borrow, I think it was up to, um, $1,500 or something like that on a signature loan. So I went to three different banks, uh, and I got a signature loan from three different banks. So that's $4,500 and I had $500 cash and I bought this car <laughs> and, and I could pay for, it. I could pay the loans off cause I had a job as a, uh, I cut lawns and I was a lifeguard during the summer and some stuff like that. And I played in a band. So I had some money and I, I could, I could actually pay the service the loans, but you know, you couldn't have, I couldn't have gotten a used car loan on that thing, sure. but I was able to get these three different signature loans and the banks didn't talk to each other. So they didn't know. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so it was a fun story. So anyway, so I bought, I bought the Shelby. Um, and then that's where we started going by then, you know, Ann and I met in high school. So, we were dating and all like that. And so we would go to these car shows and take the car up there and, and display it and things. And uh, it was kind of fun. It was a Shelby club and, and there was a lot of things. Uh, I'm on a podcast, honey. Hi, Ann. You didn't eat dinner. Oh, okay. Um, well, there's cement to face still in the um, motorhome if you want it. We can edit this, right? <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Oh, no, this is staying in. This is yeah, we don't really great. edit things. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, yeah, Ann does a great job. When I go away, she she stocks the refrigerator with our leftovers from the previous week, and so I eat like a king while I'm gone. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I had etouffee over uh, rice with a nice bottle of uh, Tempranillo and stuff the other night. Anyway, uh, where were we? Oh, right. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, we were. T- oh, right. So Shelby Club. We were going to these, yep. these car sh- car shows and stuff like that. And and uh, uh, the you know and the car show thing was okay. And that's how you got parts in those days. You had everybody was you know people were selling like a flea market there, and they would sell used parts and things. And Actually, so at the up, car meets. So oh they, yeah, yeah, totally, there weren't like totally, car yeah. swap meets, but they. But were there was that the same too. Thing. Yeah, there was that too. But but the ones that were the Shelby Club it was just Shelby stuff. So the cars would be displayed and there and there'd be the parts area and you go over there and look around and stuff. But you know, the display thing, they pretty much once a month, you go to one of these things at a different area and, and most of the same cars would show up and you know, something cool would be, Hey, look, Fred got a new Chrome valve cover or Joe got a new set of wheels or, you know, that, and after that a while, I Facebook. Kind of, Everybody would they, show up with yeah. the new stuff and show it to the community. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, that was as exciting as it got. Um, but it was cool. To, you know, we had the friends and stuff, you know, doing this. And eventually one of the guys had heard about this thing called Autocross. And he was uh, lived near me. And so we're like, hey, let's go take our Shelby's over to this Autocross and go see um, what it's about. And so um, so we did. We um uh, went over there and, and as, as you do, no, I'm fine. Thanks. Um, I texted you earlier and you never answered me. Um, anyway, the, um, uh, what are we talking about? Oh, right. So, um, so, so we go to this autocross 
um, with our cool cars and, and what do autocrossers do? They're like, Hey, you got to run. <laughs> so we're like, okay, sure. So we go out there and halfway around the first lap of the first run, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm not going to any more car shows anymore. This right here, this is it. This is the thing I'm going to do from now on. This, this is so cool. Um, so that was it. That was the start. Um, and I never went to another car show again. Um, just uh, started doing autocross stuff. And that whole year went to every autocross event I could find locally uh, and stuff and uh, had a ball. And, you know, the rest uh, is history as far as that stuff goes. That, yeah, that seems to be a, a common thread from people that I know, including myself, who kind of started just, you know, going to car meets, car shows, stuff like that, hanging out. And then you go actually do something with your car and you drive it. Uh, aggressively and then all of a sudden standing around in a parking lot doesn't seem that exciting anymore yeah well for me part of it was the you know driving aggressively but i had done that on the street too um but the 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 big difference was it was a competition and there was you know there was a set course and all that kind of stuff versus just you know uh, hooning around the street Um, that was the big thing for me you know place you could go like-minded individuals you know talking about what you were doing um that's that's what really worked for me and so uh got into that community and just uh never looked back so so something in the uh the competition you had with your brother you uh you're just bred for competition aren't you (laughs) uh yeah sure maybe (laughs) so the i guess my my connection to you starts in the one lap of america where i was coming to kind of the start and end events uh on the one lap because it was pretty close to where i lived for years before i actually ended up uh doing it and you had this white Honda, little tiny thing that you pretty consistently like put in the top 10. And I just thought that was absurdly cool to have this little older car that was just driven well, well set up and could somehow make it 4,000 miles. How did you actually get from autocross into the one lap? Where did that where did that path cross for you? So, um, so I was doing the I autocrossed the Shelby for a while, um, and um, I actually had a Sunbeam Tiger as well um, that I autocrossed, um, and learned lots of bad habits in that car. Um, and then um, one day we needed a new car. Okay. And, and was like, we had, we, you know, we had like five cars at the time, any two of which would be running or something. And, and, you know, we were both working at this point in time and, you know, we, and Anne was a nurse. I mean, ER nurse, she needed something reliable, uh, particularly in the winter. So we bought a, an 84 Volkswagen GTI as our first brand new car. And it turns out that's, that's a really good autocrosser, which I didn't know. Um, and prior to this, I'd been, you know, I had been reasonably competitive, but not good, um, and as far as the results were concerned and the, so we, you know, took the GTI out and all of a sudden I'm winning. And so everything I had learned in driving, you know, the wrong car for the class on crappy tires and all that kind of stuff. Apparently, if you have the right car for the class on good tires and you, all those lessons you learned apply, suddenly I'm doing pretty well. Um, so and that, 
You took so your I wife's started, nice, reliable car. Well, it was our car. <laughs> um, but she would come at the events and all like that and stuff. And so anyway, we, uh, we had that car for a couple of years. Um, and then that's actually the car in which she started driving. Cause I, you know, prior to this, pretty much I was doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. I encouraged her to try to, but she didn't really want to, she was worried about, you know, being self-conscious and stuff and that people would judge her and blah, blah, blah. And particularly if I was doing well. And anyway, brought her out to an event it was a when, when it was a practice heat when uh, nobody was really looking and all like that and she went out and she loved it and, and it was a natural i mean i have pictures from that event and you can see her looking out the side window looking ahead through turns and all I'm like this this girl's a natural <laughs> That's awesome. uh, so which i i knew she would be good because she's a lead foot on the street anyway um at this point and so i knew she would do well but anyway so it became something we did together the, how we got into the Hondas was um, a, a class was, uh, I guess it was D-Stock SCCA Autocrossing at the time. And um, the Honda Civic SI had just, the 86, 87 cars had just been classed into that. And those were the ones that were dominating nationally. Um, and we um, went up to a Pro Solo in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We lived in Baltimore at the time. And um, a couple of guys showed up with those. And I was like, oh. I need one of those instead. <laughs> so, um, and kept her GTI, but we bought literally our first dedicated autocross car. And it also became my daily. And it was an 87 Civic SI, um, zero options. Um, no, no, um, only factory undercoating, no extra dealer add-ons. I mean, we basically intercepted it, um, before the dealer could put anything on it. So it was as light as it could be all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and started running it. We started going to a couple of national events and pro solos and things like that started doing well with it. Uh, and that began, you know, that big, long slippery slope of, uh, SCCA national autocrossing stuff, um, as well as Hondas. Uh, and, you know, we, we met a lot of folks within Honda at the time. Um, and, uh, when the, uh, 88s came out, um, the EF generation, um, civics, uh, ended up uh, getting one of those uh, CRX, um, and I've owned as many as three at a time. I've never owned less than one, and right now I have. And right now I have two. <laughs> so, uh, one of which is the one you're talking about that's all built up, and another one which is basically a virgin. It's my spare chassis, which is about to get unvirgined. Um, here, I've got some plans for it, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not, uh, which I'm not going to tell you about. Right. Um, Keep but I will, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, that, that, that kind of got it. That's where the Honda thing started, but that was, gosh, that was 1988. Um, and we, we bought, you know, a CRX brand new in 1988. Um, and, um, I don't have that particular car anymore. Um, although somebody, somebody who knows where it is contacted me recently. So I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the way one lap happened, um, one of our friends, uh, Peter Lear, had, Anne had been uh, co-driving with him at one point. He had a, had a Porsche GT3, and they were co-driving in Super Street uh, or Super Stock, whatever it was called in those days on Hoosiers and stuff. And, and uh, so he was a good friend of ours. Well, he and Ian Stewart got into one lap, um, and they, the, it was coming through Texas that year uh, to tech the old texas world speedway and so we're like let's go out and see them 
Um, so we go out there and it, the day dawns pouring down rain. I mean, raining, 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 just buckets of rain. And we, you know, we're over there and we're watching the cars come in and stuff. And, and we see our friends. And then we realize we see a whole bunch of other people that are our friends, people that we knew from autocrossing, people that had autocross and then turned around and went road racing and track day stuff and all like that. People we hadn't seen in a while. And we're like, we knew like a, at least 25% of the people there were people we knew already. Um, and what was super impressive about it was it's pouring down rain and everybody's having a ball. Um, where if this was an autocross event and it was pouring down rain, everybody'd be bitching and moaning and whining and complaining and oh, this and they, that. Um, oh, they still and, do, and, you know. Yeah, but 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 at a uh, at one lab, uh, everybody was just having a ball, sliding the cars around, doing whatever, rooster tails everywhere, um, and that made a big impression on me. Plus, the whole way it's like there are no rules here. You know, so you don't have any worries about any of that kind of stuff, which, I mean, in the autocross world, man, people just whine and complain about rules all the time. Um, so it, it seemed to solve two of the big problems um, that we had been, you know, kind of getting into with autocross where things just got way too officious and way too unfun and we were getting really burnt out about it. And the third little piece that happened at the same time was they built a track near here called Harrisville Raceway which was a member's track, but it was very inexpensive to be, to get a membership. Um, and, uh, so I was like, Hmm. So that's going on at the same time as I went down there and I ran around the track one day and I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. Um, and basically the way it works for at least for us early adopters for 200 bucks a month, I can run as much as I want. Um, right. So, yeah. So, so I do. <laughs> um, so anyway, all those things kind of tied together. Um, so I took one of my, well, actually I didn't take one of the autocross cars, but I built one just like it. I bought a, a spare chassis and built one just like it. Um, and drove it around down there a bunch, had a lot of fun. Um, but it needed more power. So, cause it's a track car, not an autocross car and you're not in second gear, you're in third and fourth. So I'm like, okay. So that's when I did a K swap on it. Um, and, uh, learned a lot of lessons about how to make a K series motor, um, survive. And I learned, I learned that by breaking a lot of K series motors yeah. and was keeping count at one point, but she, she, she doesn't have enough fingers anymore to keep count of the number of motors I've blown up. Um, so that's how, that's how I built my first track cars. And the very first one we took to one lap was actually not even a CRX. It was a hatch. It was, a, it was an 88 DX hatch, white, of course. Um, it had a K20, JDM K20 uh, swap in it. Um, and that's what we ran in 2010. Finished in uh, 10th overall. Um, we never finished out of the top 10 other than the year that we ran the Cayenne when she had the neck injury. Right. Um, oh, and then, of course, the year that, uh, that we DNF'd with, the, uh, with the, the 720 recently. But every other year, we've, we've been in the top 10 one way or the other. Um, and then, so that, that was the first year, and I blew the motor up uh, in 2010. I mean, not during one lap, but later that year, I blew it up due to an oiling issue, which I didn't realize I had an oiling issue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gee, gee, who knew that you needed a baffled oil pan, right? <laughs> so, 
I, I didn't know I was an autocrosser, man. You know, so yeah. I learned that lesson the hard way. Scattered that motor all over uh, turn two at Harris Hill. Um, so then, in in researching how to how to replace it, I discovered that K twenty fours are actually a whole lot cheaper and make more power, and those will fit in the same space. Um, and oh, by the way, that year or that next year, um, one lap was going to go to Daytona. And I thought to myself, okay, so I need the K24 and a Civic hatch isn't the best idea, but a CRX would be a better idea. Lighter car, better aerodynamics, put the K24 in it. So the two of those went together in 2011 um, and we took that car to Daytona with one lap um, and had an absolute blast uh, doing it. So we ran the CRX for four years. Um, the last of which uh, we finished fourth overall that year. I guess that would have been 2014, something like that. Yep. Boy, how, uh, how much things have changed. Yeah. But, uh, that, that car, especially this past year. <sighs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it would have been top 15. Oh, I bet it would have. You think so? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's it, uh, the only thing that was finished in front of us was three GTRs. Um, we we finished in front of all the Corvettes and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, it, it was uh, it was actually kind of fun. I have I have some fun pictures of that uh, sitting on grid with Ferraris behind me and uh, other other things that, that should should be in front of it. But uh, uh, part of that too was that what we always did was we made sure that we did really really well at the ancillary events. Right. Um, so, you know, the autocross, we are usually one or two at the autocross. Um, yep. and, um, uh, the, the skid pads, we did really well. In fact, I don't know if you ever saw or heard any of the stories, but, uh, dry skid pad, I would actually lighten the car up by literally stripping it. Yep. Yeah. So I, re- I remember I, yeah. watching you take the hatch yeah. and the yeah, yeah, take the hatch seat. off and uh, I'd pull about 150 pounds out of the car. Uh, the roll bar was meant to be, you could take the whole center section out of the roll bar and take uh, 30 plus pounds out of it. Um, so yeah, that, I had practiced all that at home so I could take a whole bunch of weight out of the car. And I, I don't know how much it was worth, but it was at least in my head worth something. Yep. Competition. <laughs> got to, got yeah, to try. Yeah. So anyway, but I focused really hard on those kinds of, you know, all that kind of stuff, the, the bracket racing, um, you know, we used to did really well in that because yep. the car was super consistent. It actually wasn't even that bad on the ET drags. It was nothing like, you know, what, what it takes now. Um, but we, uh, you know, we were, we were very competitive usually in the bracket drags mm-hmm. being consistent and also, um, all those kind of things, um, you know, paid in there and, uh, as long as we could be top 10 on the tracks, it worked out pretty well. Um, so, so yeah, what was, but it, but it was not, it was not great on the street. <laughs> and no. that's, that was, that was the end of it. When we finished fourth overall, we were like, you know, we'll never go any higher than this. Um, and that, in that year, we, I think we went to Gingerman. We were driving across the, um, interstate, whatever the heck it is that goes from West to, or from East to West. Um, and the car was just, I mean, you know how bad those, those roads are up there, the highways, and the car was just, ka-dunk, 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 and her head was banging off the roof of the CRX, because yep. it's basically a stripped-out race car, you know, with seats in it, and, and, and so she's, she's like, that's it, we're not doing this anymore, so uh, that was the end of the CRX, yep. and we had done pretty much everything we could do with it, I was like, you know, what else can we do, right. so I yeah. uh, needed to come up with a new idea. Yeah, and I'm yeah, that's basically where we ended up with uh, the Miata, because sure. I mean, 
yeah, we, I mean, we could have put a turbo on it. We could have done some really stupid stuff, but yeah, you know, we would have had to convert back for our race series and it just didn't, the juice didn't seem quite worth the squeeze at that point. Right. And, uh, you know, just because you can suffer doesn't mean you have to. And it's been sure. a, it's been a hard three, one laps in this car. Yeah. So, but you did it, yeah. you did it. And, and so, I mean, I mean, that was the thing. My CRX, that car was also my autocross car. Uh, I was running it in, in fact, in 2014, we did three big things. So, uh, finished fourth overall in, in, uh, in one lap. Uh, I took it to the Texas mile and did 170 miles an hour, um, naturally aspirated four cylinder. Um, and, and then took it to solo nationals and won a solo national championship. So again, it was like uh, nothing more I can do with that car. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's, you know, time to retire it. Although it's never been retired. I still run it in NASA. Uh, TT events and some SCCA. In fact, I took it to SCCA time trial nationals this past year and won the, uh, I guess that was max four class. Yeah. And didn't you um, go to, um, Dakota early this year as well? I did. I did. That was with, uh, NASA, uh, ran NASA TT. That's a, it's a TT four car. No, yes. TT four car, yep. uh, with, with, with the motor with detuned, uh, I can run it in TT4 uh, on uh, Hoosiers. I was, I was thinking uh, super lap battle though. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that was a, that was a weird situation because that was so the winner of um, of time trial nationals gets a free entry in super lap battle. Oh. Um, and uh, the uh, the previous year, that was the previous year. Uh, that was the year that I had run the um, uh, I had run the 720, and I was uh, third on the list. And the top two guys couldn't go, one of which couldn't go like at the last minute, um, like Monday before the event. And of course, I live here in town. So um, they're like, well, one, you're next on the list. And two, you're right there in town. You want to go to go to this week? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so the problem was I didn't the 720 wasn't running at the time. So I dug the CRX out. Um, and a lot of people enjoy the car you know, it's, it's, it's a it's a fairly unique car in the general. I mean, a CRX that runs these days is a unique car. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, had a good time with that. Um, it didn't run well the first day I had to do some fixes to it overnight, uh, and then got it running again. Um, so, but before we get too far along, I'm, I'm curious with you starting out in Mustangs and, mm-hmm. uh, kind of, uh, American iron, so to speak from the day and then jumping into, GTIs and civics. Um, I guess two-parter was that jump primarily for reliability and to how, what was your experience like of driving them on the track? Did you have to change a whole lot? So it was done purely through economics. Sure. Um, uh, you know, so I learned early on, <laughs> And, and, and all, you know, throughout most of my racing, um, I've always tried to obviously minimize expenses, if not break even. And for the longest time, we actually broke even when we were running pro solos and stuff like that. Um, there was enough money to be won in those days, uh, and, and enough contingencies. And we had, you know, tire contracts from, uh, tire manufacturers and things. And so, 
we were able to minimize our expenses um, and actually get enough income in to to pay our travel expenses and things like that. Um, but that only works when you're running like 13 inch and 14 inch tires. When your when your wheels and tires are really big and stuff like that, and your car costs a whole lot, you can't do that. But when your car is a little Honda, you know, jet box, you know, yep. you can, you yeah, can call it, call you know, the cart, the, the stuff, you know, and when you're on a crossing in second gear, it, that's not so, that's not so bad. Um, you know, having, having a Corvette uh, on, you know, particularly on the autocross tires of those days, you know, you can't use all that power and stuff like that in second gear autocrossing very much, particularly with the courses we had in those days. Now, of course, courses have gotten bigger and faster and stuff these days. Um, and cars have just gotten a whole lot better and certainly tires have gotten a whole lot better. Um, but, uh, it was perfectly adequate for what we wanted to do. And, uh, and it fit our family. I mean, we, you know, we had, had two young girls that we were raising at the time and we could actually fit the two girls in the car and drive it to the events. Cause I mean, we didn't tow the thing. We would, we would, it was kind of a clown car situation. We would pack all the kids and their, all their gear, play pens and strollers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, plus a set of tires, <laughs> a set of autocross tires and uh, and stuff. And we would drive, you know, halfway across the country to a pro solo and, you know, unpack all the stuff and um, have fun at the events. And, you know, we had friends all around the country and stuff. And our kids will tell you that they grew up in a parking lot. You know, they, they joke about that still. Uh, but uh, but that's, you know, that's what we did. So it was, it was out of necessity. Um, plus, we could have brand new cars. We could afford a brand new car. Where you know the, the 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 Mustangs and all, I mean, those were old used cars and stuff at the time, and and uh, just keeping them running is it was just a lot of work. Uh, so uh, so yeah, it made it made more sense to to do that stuff with uh, with brand new cars that were inexpensive that used inexpensive parts. As far as driving, um, yeah, you know the it wasn't like. And for sure, the cars were very different in how you drove them, but it had more to do with the fact that the tires on the Mustangs weren't nearly as good as the tires that we had um, for the uh, uh, for the Volkswagen, uh, and then later the um, the CRX, and that was that was right around the time <clears throat> that our comp started. So when we were running the Mustangs, uh, that was still um, those were still just regular old tires. There was no such thing as an R comp. Uh, Yokohama had not yet introduced the A001R. Uh, when we got the Volkswagen, the first year we ran it on the stock Pirelli P6 OE tire, which is a good tire, you know, of its day. The next year was the year that Yokohama came out with the first R comps, um, and. So initially we ran it on some A001Rs, and then they came out with the A008R um, the following year, um, and that became the tire because it had the right size. I forget what it was now, uh, but it was a perfect size for that car, um, and it made a huge difference. So that all was, you know, tires were really changing at the time. Um, and that made the biggest difference between what you were doing, what I was doing with the Mustangs and what I was doing with the, uh, with the front wheel drive cars. I'm, I'm curious, even from when you were talking about engine swapping the Mustang to the GTI and then, um, the CRX and Civic and all that stuff. And you kind of, it, it always seems like you were trying to learn more about it and that you were, yeah, you kind of had to do some, some 
fiddling around, but it kind of seemed like you were fairly methodological about it. Like you were, you kind of had a place that you knew you wanted to get the car to, and you had a way of finding a, you, you managed to find a way to get it there. And I'm just wondering, like that's, that mindset isn't, I don't want to say it it isn't common in motorsports, but it's certainly not something that every driver, every crew chief, every every person has. I mean, you were a crew chief for a while as well for a mutual friend of ours. Sure. Um, well, so so I was an engineer. I mean, that's that's what I was trained as for my real job. So um, you know, I, I learned engineering skill. I learned engineering skills as early you know early on, and, and my dad was too. Uh, my dad was an early pioneer in the radar uh, business for Westinghouse um, and uh, did that for many, many years. Um, so I kind of got that whole engineering thing from him. And, and uh, you know, I ended up being, you know, uh, doing computer science stuff and, and uh, eventually ended up in the entertainment software business. But, um, but I learned engineering. Um, and so as a trained engineer and, and just being that kind of a person anyway, sure. that's where those skills came in. So I always looked at it, looked at everything as, okay, what's the problem? You know, what's yep. the inputs, what's the outputs, you know, what's the vision for where we're going, What are your break it, break it down. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff. And so, um, and then what, what do I not know? What do I need to know? How do I find that out? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and, um, of course, in those days, my biggest constraint was budget because <laughs> I had none. Right. I mean, we 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 were scraping pennies together in those days, and and so you know, especially with the kids, you know, raising two kids and all, and so it was uh, it was always a challenge. Um, but uh, you know, we just we figured out ways. You know, what what's the cheapest way I can get the maximum effect? Uh, that was that was one of the things I was always really good at was optimizing. Uh, the effect uh, given the budget. Um, and so it was never what's the best car I can build. It's what's the best car I can build given this amount of budget. Um, and that's, that was the, uh, that was the real trick. Um, and, and not just the best car I could build, but what's the best result we can get from this whole season given X, res- X budget, sure. you know, how, how many events do we go to? What do we need to do that? you know, what's the consumables, what's the car, you know, and, and some of that's evolving too, because if we would do well, we would make some winnings. We could reinvest that back into the car uh, and, or maybe go to another event, maybe get some more points for the season and maybe get, you know, better result at the end of the season uh, and get even more. And so it kind of just sort of fed on itself because we had good success and, you know, and contributed to that too. She did very well. Um, and I was doing well as, you know, additionally. And so, uh, kind of, uh, kind of snowballed on itself. Um, but yeah, it was mostly from just being an engineer as my day job. Um, that kind of, uh, you know, played into, uh, when I was doing this stuff on the side. Over the last decade, especially you've kind of been known as the testing guy. Like nobody tests stuff more than, than Andy does. How did you develop to be being that guy? Um, you know, I think that goes back to what we were just talking about, where it was like, how do I make this car better? Um, and, and, you know, the engineering approach to that is you, you need to measure the changes you make. Um, and some of that you can do sort of through your butt dyno and like that. But I learned pretty early on, 
uh, how to um, try to quantify things. Um, so, you know, I started pretty early making changes between runs even. Um, so I could see, you know, let me make a shock change and see what that does. You know, let me make an air pressure change. And let me see what that does. Uh, or maybe, you know, from this week to the next week, I changed the camber on the car. How did the balance change? Um, I put more front camber in it. Did it get worse or better? You know, did I get more front grip? Did I get less front grip? Um, and, uh, you know, I kept notes on a lot of that stuff, but not as meticulous as I probably should have. But, but still, I was always able to correlate a change with a result. Um, and uh, that's kind of how I got started doing it. Um, and what I, you know, one of the things I learned was most people won't do that. They won't put the time in to do that. And if I'm willing to put the time in to do that, I can be more dynamic when I'm met with a situation that I haven't seen before or, or a situation I've seen before only in testing. Uh, so for example, you go to a new site, the surfaces, maybe it's a little slick or something like that. Some people are going to have trouble with that. Or if I've tested in a situation like that, I know exactly what to do. Um, and so I started learning um, to do that early on. That really compounded itself um, in two ways. One, when I started doing tire testing um, and got involved with Grassroots Motorsports Magazine. Um, and then two, when Harris Hill opened up, and, and I started doing stuff there where, I mean, again, if you can go there as much as you want, you can start testing a whole lot yeah, and no kidding. very, very inexpensively. Um, and uh, so all of those things kind of tied together um, to, to where, um, you know, I, I just started doing that. Um, and, it, and it's, you know, I try to tell people, it's like you're never, uh, you're not trying to, to find the perfect setup for the car. You're trying to equip yourself with a set of tools that you know when the car is doing X, if I turn knob Y up or down, whatever, it's going to make this change to the way the car is handling. And that way, when you need that change, you know which tool to put into play. That's what you're doing is you're building a toolkit. Um, in fact, there's a there's a, a storage that's, I think it's in the current grassroots motorsports uh, where I was helping uh, Tom Sutter where they've got the 350Z project. Um, and, and I go through exactly all of this stuff step by step. And basically they're building a brand new car. How do we select springs? How do we select sway bars? How do we, how do we do initial setup? All that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't know beans about 350Zs. Um, but I walked him through the whole process on how to do it from scratch, um, not knowing anything about the car and how to measure things and figure out the geometry and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's a really good article in there. And there's an online version of it, too. So if you're a subscriber, you can actually get online. I think it's actually up there right now. Um, but it's at least in the current print version, too. Um, and uh, it's, you know, I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty good stuff. When I started autocrossing in Houston, whatever, 15 years ago, um, people would bring up your name when I was learning, you know, when I got my first set of adjustable conies. Somebody said to me, literally, Andy Hollis always says, if you're going to make a change, make it big enough you can feel it. Like, don't yep. go one click. Go, like, yep. nine clicks so you know what's yep. going to happen. Exactly. You need to make... A, a, an order of magnitude change so that you can feel and tell the difference. Now that again, 
that's because you're trying to build a toolkit, not because you're trying to make the best car that particular day. Now, once you make that big change, you go, oh, okay, that's what that feels like. Now, maybe let me back off half of that and see what that feels like. Um, but if you only made one click, you wouldn't notice whether the next run you did or the next lap you did, whether it felt any different because you changed the shock or because perhaps your tires are now 10 degrees warmer or colder or the air pressure changed or something else happened on the course or something like that. Where if you make a big change, even if those other things happen, the, the magnitude of that change will be bigger than anything else that, that would have changed because it's impossible to control all the variables perfectly. So take the one that you're going to change and and really change it, you know, turn it to 11. And, and now you'll know, oh, that's what that's about. I'm, I'm curious that that idea that, and that's something Becky and I have, have done as well, but that idea that you make a big change, see what it does and learn from it. There's an element of risk there as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, where, what allowed you to be able to take that sort of a risk? Was it, quote-unquote, only the fact that you were dodging cones at fairly slow speeds in a parking lot? Or like yeah, what, was, what yeah. kind of gave you permission to, uh, to be this crazy? Yeah, well, that, that was a large part of it. And when you're autocrossing, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to spin out, and you're going to run into a couple of cones. Um, I did run into a curb once, but... Um, that was, that was another problem, but uh, I didn't even know that curb was, nobody even knew that curb was there. It was overgrown with grass. Uh, yeah, that was, that was another fun one. That was three weeks before Solon nationals. And we were at like the big final practice at this concrete site, um, uh, over in, um, uh, college station at Texas A&M university. And I had even set up the course. <laughs> I, I went through this turn and, and just the car just lost it completely. And, and, uh, uh, propellered uh, across the lot and skidded into which what we thought was like tall grass and some low bushes. And there was actually a curb in there buried and it bent the rear subframe on my uh, uh, 89 Civic um, to where we needed to retub the whole thing. So oh. I, I, I found a, I found, found a car in Atlanta, Georgia, flew there, drove it back, through the back end of Hurricane Katrina, um, and me and a bunch of guys in the Texas Spoke Sports Car Club swapped all the parts over it, basically over the course of uh, the following three days, and we showed up at Solon Nationals with a essentially retubbed car and put it on the podium. That <laughs> was pretty. It was pretty cool. Pretty good um, story. But yeah, it is a good story. Um, so, but yeah, the, the fact that it was just cone dodging makes a lot of that uh, a lot easier. Um, sure. It's a little harder uh, when you're when you're um, uh, when you're on the track. I still do make big changes though. Um, it's you kind of got to know. I mean, you're not going to do something really stupid, um, but you know, again, like a couple clicks on a shock isn't enough for most people to feel. Um, so do a lot. I mean, you could you could make massive shock changes, and it's not going to make the car undrivable. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like, I like to do what I call sweeps, uh, basically corner sweeps where you get all the way up on one end, then all the way up on the other end, then all the way down on the one and all the way down and you hit all four corners of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and it lets you know, and none of those is really that unsafe. Um, you know, but you also have to be sensitive as a driver. Um, cause one, you're trying to see what the car does, right? So you need to be sensitive as a driver and you can build up to, 
to pace. You don't just go out there and send it on, on the first lap. Um, two, the other part that goes with that is having, if you're doing it on a track is having a track that you have lots of laps on. Um, and, and one there where there's really not much to hit. So what's one of the beauties about Harris Hill is there's really not much to hit there. There's a couple of places on the track that are dangerous. Um, you know, I, I chuckled when you first brought the question up because I have fresh in my mind, uh, some tire tests I did last fall where, uh, uh, anytime you're bolting unfamiliar tires onto a car and you've got to come up to speed within a couple of laps, uh, it's, it can be dangerous. Um, and add, add to it an orange supercar and, and mm. stuff can hit the fan pretty which, fast there. Which, so. which tires were those? Uh, or which that was the Trofeo R tried to kill me on the second lap. <laughs> if you read the, and I don't mention it in the story, but if you read the story, it's and you read between the lines, you can sort of figure it out. But basically that was a, that was a tire that the first lap is magic and the next laps are not magic. Um, and if you try to do the same thing that you did on the first lap on the second lap, um, or, or subsequent laps, um, the, the tire will try to kill you, cool. um, if, if you're near the limit. So, um, it, and it did that. I had a, a very lurid slide in that car. Um, and unfortunately, um, we don't have pictures of it cause it would have been pretty cool. I think <laughs> we, we, there are no pictures of that one. So you went from big, heavy, American V8s to light shit boxes uh, mm-hmm. because of consumables. And then you went the real dumb route and you got a British supercar. Um, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> what? All right. So here's that why, story. Why, uh, why did you do that? Uh, okay. So there, there's an in-between checking point that's important to note. So Tur- turbo after, uh, well, initially, initially not turbo, initially case swap Miata. Right. Um, so, so I had the, um, the second running customer car case swap Miata in the country. Yes. Um, a guy in Dallas beat me by, by a week. Um, but so I was an early adopter of that whole thing, worked really closely with David, um, at now K power industries or whatever he calls it. Um, and, uh, uh you know, got the thing and in those days i mean the kit was, it was not very full featured there was a few parts to it and you, you basically figured the rest out on your own yes um but it, it, it's fine but anyway that that was a uh, so I, basically i got to that idea because i thought well if i take a front wheel drive car if, if i you know one of the inherent um limitations on the crx was its front wheel drive what about if i had a rear wheel drive car with the same motor um, and similar power to weight, uh, it's better balanced. Um, and Oh, by the way, I think I can get bigger wheels and tires under it. Um, so, uh, so basically I took a built, you know, 300 horsepower, um, K 24 mm-hmm. and swapped it, swapped it into a Miata, uh, and then tubbed, uh, the front, uh, wheel wells so that we could put, um, there's really magic size a 285, 30, 18, uh, is about as short but fat of tire as you can get in a um, in a Michelin Pilot Sport 4S uh, or a Continental Extreme Contact Sport, which is the tires of choice for one lap. Um, and they don't make a 245, 4015 uh, in those tires. And so um, the idea was to make 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 those fit. Um, and, and so it looks I did. So good. 
I have to say, and it was, uh, um, it was Apex Auto Works, Richard Tomlin's group in, uh, in Houston that, that did that work, uh, the flare work. Uh, it's a DG Motorsports uh, a deep production, SCCA uh, flare kit, or deep production, e-production, whatever the heck it is, um, flare kit. Um, and then uh, those guys did all the work on it and just did a fabulous job on making it, making it work. Um, and so uh, normally I do all, all, all my own work, but body work is not something I do. I can rattle, I can rattle can something, but that's about it. And I certainly can't do, I can't do any sort of a, although I've made a hood before out of fiberglass. So that's, that's a whole nother thing, but, um, but no, I couldn't, you know, do the kind of work that they did and the paint work they did was really exceptional. Uh, so anyway, um, that car, uh, was ready to go, uh, for the, I guess, 2015 one lap, but, uh, Ann had been in a uh, car accident. Uh, we had been up at a friend's wedding up in, Pacific Northwest and we got rear ended and she took the brunt of it yeah. and she had been driving and her neck was really messed up. And so we thought she was going to be able to be in the car and stuff. And uh, we went for a test drive about a week before. Um, and I mean, I barely even turned a corner in the thing and she just, it was killing her neck and stuff. So yeah. we bailed on that idea. We parked it and we took her uh, daily driver Cayenne um, and uh, she just ran it that year yep. uh, and, and then the following year uh, we were going to run the, the Miata and it um, broke a rod bolt uh, in testing uh, I guess it was oh, a couple weeks I was about to say it wasn't um, long before the start nope and this started by the way this started the streak of breaking the car within a month of the event um, and, and, and we started calling ourselves Team Temp Tag after this because we're like, okay, now what are we going to do? Um, and so uh, a buddy of ours, so it was Peter Lear again. <laughs> he, his name yeah. just keeps coming up. Um, Peter was out because he, uh, he was at Coda um, for that same event. And we were sitting there over drinks that night. And I was uh, miserable over my broken car. And he says, here's an oddball idea. Because we're trying to think, okay, what are we going to get? And of course, everybody in those days was thinking GTR. You know what? I just... I don't know. I couldn't, I didn't really want to, one, I didn't want to do the same thing everybody else did. And two, I just didn't really think I would like them. Um, and Peter's like, here's an oddball idea. You know how cheap McLarens are? And these are 12 C's. And, and, and he told me, and I was like, what? And it's used cars. Cause they, they basically don't hold their value very well. Yeah, and they, so, and I was like, huh, well, well, that's keep, interesting. They keep updating them and making the, yeah. the previous model just totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I started looking around at them and, and I had a local guy here, um, who was one of the early adopters and he sold me one super cheap. Now, the reason it was super cheap is he had basically driven it at the track. He was friends with the owners of Coda. And so every single private and public track day, he was there driving that car, run hard, put away wet, um, and I figured, hey, it's, you know, it's designed for this. It'll be fine, which apparently it wasn't. I mean, it ended up being in the shop more than not. I was about to say that, um, but, that, that didn't age yeah, well. But, but, you know, we ran it that year at one lap. I was basically resetting codes on the fly. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it uh, but it was super, super fun. I mean, and it, it, what it told me was this is the ideal one lap car. Um, because it's got a, 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 a dynamic suspension. You just turn some knobs and it gets super soft for the highways. 
yet you crank it back up and it's super, you know, super fast for the, um, for the, uh, the track. Um, and it's, you know, stupid good power. Um, do you ever so, driven one before you purchased it? Uh, no, nice. <laughs> but it's, but, but we're running out of time. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, what's the worst that could happen? Right. Um, you know, and it's a cool car. So yeah, so we did that. So we did that uh, the first year and we finished certainly top 10. I can't remember what it was like, I don't know, fifth, six, seven, somewhere in there. Um, and, uh, let's see. Then the following year we were going to run it again. Um, and it, and, and throughout that next year of ownership, I mean, lots and lots of problems kept surfacing and stuff. And, um, we thought that we had it all sussed and we're ready to go. And again, within a couple of weeks of, uh, of one lap, um, it, uh, it broke a, I guess it was an exhaust stud right on the head broke and there's no room to like get up in there with an easy out or something like it, you have to use like a right angle drill. And I mean, just crazy stuff. Anyway, it was not something I was going to fix. Right. So it had to go back to the dealer. And, and by the way, this thing had an extended warranty. Um, so I didn't pay for any of this stuff. Uh, all these fixes uh, were going through extended warranty. So I... Um, so ans- answer uh, that phone call about your car's extended warranty. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it might actually yeah. save your butt. Yeah, this is actually a McLaren. It's a McLaren extended warranty. So uh, it's, it's not the same kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so anyway, they... And it's stupidly expensive too. But it, but it, But we made so much money off of that with that car. I, I, I actually hold the record for a one year total build to the extended warranty on a 12 C. Um, what's, what, what, what was the number I'm, since you didn't pay for it? What's I'm curious. Six, six figures. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> wow. Um, now a lot of that was because they were chasing this, this, this problem, um, it was a boost and they kept problem, fi- wasn't it? Yeah, it was boost problem. It was, it, it was basically a, it was it was it was actually it was, the code was for an underboost, but it was actually overboosting the other bank, which is why the one bank would read an underboost. Huh. Um, but the and and they kept finding parts that were broken and replacing them, but it wasn't the root cause. And ultimately, the the real cause of the issue, which we eventually found by accident, was actually a piece of. Uh, air filter foam, you know, the orange foam surround on an air filter sure. um, had gotten up into the intake track. So when somebody replaced the air filters, I guess a piece of that had stuck onto the housing. And then when he put the new one on, then it dislodged it and it went up inside the intake track. And whenever you go wide open throttle, it would suck it in against the mass airflow screen, the mass airflow sensor screen, which would block part of the air um, going through there and it was somewhere between 10 and 15%. Um, and I, I figured that out by looking at a data log of the thing. I just started data logging all the parameters and I said, wow, every time I go to wide open throttle, the one side is reading less than the other side. Why is that? So that's when we started researching and trying to figure out that's your engineer uh, brain coming in. There you go. And I had, I had gotten to the point where like the dealership couldn't find it. And I was like, I just, I need to, I need to log everything I possibly can and find something that doesn't look right. Uh, and it just stood out like a sore thumb as soon as I found it. Um, and so then they were able to put their fancy McLaren test kit on there and, and see the same thing. Um, and so now they had something they could reproduce because prior to that, it wouldn't actually set the code 
unless you had that differential for longer than like eight seconds. Right. Um, and the only way you can get that for longer than eight seconds is on a wide open throttle run down a really big track. Um, sure. We'll, we'll go know, with track. What's that? Yeah. We'll, we'll well, go or, with track. Yeah. On track. Yeah. Or in Mexico or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, the car got broken, uh, that car was broken. So then we're like, okay, now what <laughs> again, team tank tag. Yeah. So that was, that was the year we brought out the GTR. So the, everybody had always made the joke of GTRs are self-driving cars. Anybody can drive one. Right. And so I had always thought in the back of my mind, it would be a fun story for the magazine, um, to take one on one lap, having zero time in it. Yep. Yeah. It so that's what we did off the showroom that's what we did yeah yeah and it's there's a there's a fun story that goes with that one too because ann actually bought that car um i was too busy doing other stuff with getting uh trying to get the the 12c fixed and some other things going on and so she actually went and bought that car um and uh it's a fun story of how certain dealerships around here would treat a woman going in to buy a car like that um and they lost the sale because they basically treated her like a dumb blonde <laughs> and, uh and and uh, she tells it way better than i do but uh we ended up getting a really good deal from uh, another place up in uh, uh in uh, just north of here about an hour north and uh, brought the car home on a let's see we brought it home monday uh we did did you drive it, it up past that other dealer and just like wave to them as you drove by <laughs> she did not that, but she did call and told them. Good. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were made aware. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we brought it home on a Tuesday or on a Monday. Um, that Tuesday we packed it up, um, and drove to South Bend. Um, I actually had to fix it on the way up cause the, I guess the air conditioning condense, you know, the, the condensate drip tube, that's supposed to drip down in onto the ground under the car okay. was drip dripping into the passenger foot. Well, <laughs> um, and it, and it, okay. and it was, and it was blocked up to where, well, basically what happened was it, it was kinked. And so it filled up the entire, um, condenser and all, um, oh, and wow. unit, uh, and the blower unit and all. And then it started pouring on your, on every time you turn a corner, it would just pour on your feet. So nice. we actually have a picture of me, literally standing on my head in the passenger thing, trying to diagnose, she's driving the car and I'm trying to diagnose what's going on. And then she's on the phone with the tech service tech as we're driving to South Bend and we're trying to figure out what to do with this. And, and so I eventually I'm able to get my hand in there and realize that this hose is kinked and stuff. And so um, I, I was able to unkink it uh, and stuff, but yeah, that was kind of fun. But anyway, yeah, we, we drove it though, whatever it is, 1500 miles, 1200 miles up to South Bend and they, and GTRs get a 1000 mile service. So we, we arranged to have the dealership up there, do the thousand mile service, change the oil, made some adjustments to the transmission. Uh, we did an alignment on it uh, and we put tires on it. Cause you have to, cause the tires that come stock on it aren't legal because right. they're under 200 um, and treadwear. And what tires were uh, they? Uh, the, some Dunlop GT sport, something or other, I feel huh. sport max, maybe something like that sport max. Um, so we just put Michelin's on it and, uh, oh, and, and meanwhile I had, uh, I had, um, uh, the guys at, uh, Carbotech make do some, uh, some brakes for it too. Um, we put some brakes on it, nice. um, instead of the stock ones. Um, and so, that was it. That's all we did. So um, can a GTR drive itself, Andy? 
uh, we put it in the top 10 <laughs> and I had never driven it before. <laughs> so I forget where we finished. It was like, that was your, we went to Sebring with that car. That was crazy. And rode Atlanta. Um, it's a good thing. And, you got brake uh, pads for that too. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that was, it was a fun car, but it wasn't me. Uh, it's a really heavy car and it's big party trick is putting power down off a turn. Um, but it's not the world's best handling car, uh, without a lot of mods and stuff, which is what, you know, most people do to them. Um, and I just don't like big, heavy cars. It's just not, it's just not my thing. So, um, and Ann thought that she might use it as a daily driver. It turned out to be useless as a daily driver. The back seat was worthless. You know, we that couldn't was put my the best story in. about it was talking to Ann about the car, and she was all excited because she wanted to take the grandkids to school. And right. <laughs> like you have to, she said you have to power the seats forward to let the kids out of the back or something yeah. ridiculous oh, like that. Yeah, it, it was pretty much worthless for that. And so it ended up sitting, you know, got cobwebs under it and stuff like that and just didn't get used very much. And so, uh, so we eventually sold it. Um, and, um, I still had the 12 C it was still being a problem. Um, so what do you do? You buy another McLaren. Yeah. Cause if you, if you own two of them, one of them should be running at any given time. Really, right? really doubled down on your choice there. Yeah. So, so that's what we did. We, we, we basically <laughs> traded the GTR in. Um, uh, so by then the 570 had come out. Yep. And so the idea was, well, this is, you know, now McLaren has figured out how to build a road car. The 12 C was really just a, you know, prototype for them to learn how to do that, a beta test. Um, and the five, and, we, and that, which is true, the 570 actually was very well put together and still is very well put together road car and stuff like that. Um, and we took that car, I think we took delivery of that a few weeks before the event again, again, ran the event on a temp tag. So that was what, three years in a row we ran on a temp tag. Um, and uh, we put that uh, on the podium. Uh, we were second overall, I believe it was that year. Um, and, um, uh, so, uh, the problem was it wasn't as fast as the 12 C even. And I kind of missed, you know, the power. And the other thing it didn't have is didn't have the fancy suspension. That's how they're able to be way less expensive than, oh, than, the, the, than the other. Ones. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, 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 it's one of those things where you don't, you won't miss it if you never had it. Um, but if you've had it, you know what it can do. And, and I missed it. Yeah. You, you and, had and, a taste. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and so anyway, it, it, and it also was having a little bit of overheating trouble. Uh, and I don't know if that was just my car or whether that was indicative. It was the first year 570. It wasn't one of the later ones. So it's possible that it was that. I don't know. Anyway, ultimately I finally just, got fed up with it and i sold both of them traded them both in and bought it bought the 720 um and which for a good long time was super reliable yep until it until it wasn't <laughs> but well, for for a good long time it was super reliable and it delivered everything i ever wanted in a car and it was the greatest thing ever and until it wasn't <laughs> well i remember having been there the the, one of the first things that happened was a issue with the coolant system that McLaren didn't know that it had until you found out about it at Blackhawk Farms. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and in fact, it, it took them a whole year before they finally issued a recall on that. 
Uh, I, I'm sorry. They don't call it a recall. They call it a service campaign um, is what they did on that. I mean, I put out, you know, warnings and stuff to people. And I wasn't the only one that had that issue. There was a, a number of other people that had that issue, including one guy on track and uh, down in uh, New Zealand uh, had a big spin and all. It didn't wreck or anything, but he had a big spin, do the same thing. Um, I mean, you can put lipstick on a pig, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it um, yeah, it was basically just rubbing a hole in a hose and, and it just happens to be a coolant hose and it happens to be sitting right over top of the rear wheel. Um, so it's not a good place to, dump coolant um so but the uh yeah that was uh that was a uh, uh an unfortunate situation uh, but that's how i learned how to work on mclaren's and i learned how to get parts and i learned how to get information and stuff and that, see, that was the other reason i bought mclaren in the first place was like here's a car i can't work on you know like <laughs> All so right. i don't I, I won't feel obligated to work on it this will be great you know i'll own a car that you, all you do is you take it in for warranty work perfect um, little did I know that it was going to need other kinds of work and stuff. And so, uh, basically I, uh, had to learn how to do all of that stuff and figure out how to source parts. Cause the U S parts way it works. Um, McLaren really doesn't want independent shops to exist in the U S even though that's illegal for them to try to restrain of trade against that. Um, so what they do is they make it really, really hard for independents to get parts and then make it really, really hard, um, for them to get the information um, and the computer system that you use for diagnostics is $35,000 to get access to their online uh, information system is like another 35 grand per VIN. Uh, and VIN? you know, it's something like that. I mean, well, if I wanted to get it, it would be that now you can get like a day's access for less. It's only a couple thousand dollars to have one day access. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, yeah but, I, I figured I found other ways around all of that stuff. Um, and, um, I, I, I know some guys now. <laughs> um, and then, um, uh, yeah. And then the other thing to do is to jack the price of all the parts up. So like the U S guys take the MSRP and then add like 30% to it or something like that. Crazy, crazy amount. Uh, so, uh, if you figure out ways of getting the parts out of the UK directly, then uh, you can avoid all of that. Um, so, uh, that's what I've been doing, you know, for the stuff that I've needed to get. That isn't warranty work, um, but you know, so far the 720 has been under new car warranty up until recently, and so everything that's been fixed on it um, has been done under warranty. It's just getting parts, you know, with the pandemic and back orders and stuff has been crazy. So, so you talking about working on McLaren sort of segues me to a, a thing when um, there's a bunch of people who I knew who followed your your one lap exploits and your autocross exploits in the civics, and I think there was a belief amongst a bunch of people that if I work hard enough, I can be like Andy, and. And so there was this, this, I don't know if you know this, but there was this whole club of people that, that sort of wanted to be like Andy. And then you bought the McLarens and I <laughs> talked to people dreams. who were actually angry when you bought the McLarens because they felt like you had betrayed part of the automotive <laughs> community. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. And, and, and this is another thing happened at the same time, which was again, 
early on, um, you know, we tried to make our racing as inexpensive as possible um, and uh, tried to make it break even, you know, at, at worst. Um, and uh, somewhere along the lines, you know, the, um, uh, you know, once I retired, you know, from electronic arts and stuff and started doing better financially and stuff, uh, even then we were still trying to treat racing as just a hobby that was, you know, and not spend a lot on it. Um, and I retired young and so like, you got to, you know, save for the future and things. But as I got older, I mean, I'm 64 years old now and I'm at the point where I'm like, Hey, I can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, uh, you start to not to have to worry about saving every penny anymore. And at some point you go, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have a couple of toys. Um, because I don't, uh, you know, how much longer am I going to do this? Am I going to be doing this in my seventies? I don't know. Um, you know, probably less so than I, you know, have been doing that's for sure. So why not kind of, you know, not go out with a bang, but, you know, just do some stuff that's a little more high end and things. And so, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I totally understand, um, that, that mentality, but at the same time, I'm still playing with the CRX and and wait till you see what I do with the other one for next year. Um, so, uh, it, it's funny cause like at, 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 you know, the SEC time trial stuff, um, each of the four years of SUCA time trial nationals, um, I've brought a different car uh, and run in a different class. Uh, now, two of those years, I brought McLarens, but two of those years, one, one I brought the uh, CRX this past year, and another, another one of the years, I brought my uh, ND Miata uh, out uh, and ran that car, which is prepped for a different class. And, and so uh, I'm still doing all those other things. Uh, I just happen to be doing this too. So it doesn't yeah, I mean, I basically have three cars that I take to the track all the time. In fact, the one that goes to the track the most is the Miata. Yeah. It gets more track time than any of the other cars. Why? Uh, one, because it's the most streetable car. Um, and so, you know, I can drive down to Harris Hill. It's about a 40-minute drive in the morning. Go do, yeah, maybe two sessions, drive home. And if it's the summertime, I can put the top up, put the air conditioning on, and it's nice and cool, even though it's 100 degrees out. Uh, and it's all good. And, and it's a great, you know, dual purpose uh, car, triple purpose, really. It's still a good autocross car, too. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can do that. Uh, and the consumables aren't crazy and the, and the tires are, are not that crazy. Um, so, um, yeah, super enjoyable and, and a very well set up car. I really enjoy it. Um, so the CRX is, is a lot more high strung and it's it's a 10 year old build now. So stuff just been breaking a lot lately in fact most recently i cracked the front some frame on it so it's it's actually been sitting on the lift in there for about three weeks now because i've been procrastinating so i've got to pull the whole drivetrain out pull the steering rack out and stuff pull drop the cross member and re-weld it and all and, and unfortunately i didn't catch it early enough this time to where usually it's just a hairline crack this time it's there's a gap in there of at least a pie-shaped gap of at least about a quarter inch open uh, so the whole thing is kind of bent and I'm not sure if it's repairable. So, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I, and it's hard to go find one of those. You got to go find one in a wrecking yard. That's not all rusted out and stuff and, and make the mods to it that will allow the, the K motor to go in there. And so anyway, I'm, right. uh, I've been procrastinating. <laughs> 
on that one. But yeah, so I still drive the other cars and, and, but I, I understand the sentiment. Um, you know, that's, it, it, it's funny. So like the, uh, the one lap CRX page on Facebook. And of course I'm not an Instagram guy cause I'm old. You know? <laughs> so I'm just the face Facebook well, guy is my well, social, we're on the social TikTok media. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm nowhere near any of that stuff. But anyway, uh, uh, on the, uh, the one lap CRX page has like 3,600, followers on it and the one that mclaren page has less than a thousand yeah. <laughs> so that should tell you something right there uh, so and 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 when i post something on one or the other i get a whole lot more interaction on the crx page yeah. uh, so which is fun i mean I, like i said I, i'll never get rid of that car uh, i love that car i love those cars in general um and uh you know i'll always have at least one if not two and so I plan to have two running next year, so I'll be back up to four track cars. I've got a I've got a couple uh, rapid fire questions for you. Okay, what's uh, what's one car or build that you would like to do that you've never done before? Oh, I'd like to redo my Miata right. So I made compromises on that car. Um, based on the fact that no 245 4015s existed at the time mm -hmm. and then year after i did the big tub thing and all like that and made all the geometry changes that that were compromises then the 245 4015s came out and i was like god damn it that's not right um so i would do that differently but and, and also with a dct and, and that whole nine yards because i've really become a bit of a flappy paddle snob uh, so, yeah. you know see well part of that is because i'm a left foot breaker um, so one of my dirty little secret is uh, I cannot, I, I cannot heel toe downshift. I can't do it. What? Um, cannot do it. Really? Mm -mm, nope. I don't do that. It, it, if you've ever watched a video in a, it, you know, of, of me and I, I post them every once in a while, not a lot of them, but, um, I've posted, go back and look at some of the ones I posted, um, where I, where I took the CRX out to a track and, or, or even the Miata, uh, and listen to what's going on and then you'll you'll figure out what i'm doing but i'm i'm driving it i'm driving like an autocrosser um but i i can't right foot brake I, I i do it on the street but i can't right foot brake on a track or on an autocross if you told me i'll give you a thousand dollars to not use the left foot on the brake couldn't do it, oh, damn. it I, i've been doing it for so many years with my left foot that i can't not do it um so um so yeah so the the uh, it's it's a bit of a handicap um, it actually doesn't cost me that much. Uh, one time I put, uh, Tom in my ND, uh, Miata at Harris Hill, where I have thousands of laps, um, just to see what am I giving up by my technique versus, you know, his high quality technique. Sure. And the answer was nothing. He went no faster than I did, but he did it in two laps, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which, cause he, Cause he's tough, that's, you know, and, and, uh, and he, he got there in two laps and, and, um, you know, and so, uh, it, it, and I'm sure if I gave him, you know, all day, he would, he would find some other places, but it wasn't like, okay, there's this big piece of low hanging fruit here. Sure. Um, that that's, it's killing me. So it was a bit of confirmation for me that I'm not really giving up that much because I'm do I I've learned how to do what I'm doing. I can execute that technique really well. Uh, there are situations that it's not optimal, but, sure. uh, but it works, you know, particularly for tracks that I'm familiar with. So, okay. um, yeah. So anyway, but, uh, um, there's, there's yeah. a couple, uh, DCT K swap Miatas coming. 
that are yeah. So, so I hear, and and I I know of I know of one in particular that I'm very anxious to see what he does with it. So, uh, you know, hopefully when these guys figure all that stuff out, I'll do that and and, and put the big power in and and, and kind of redo that, revisit that whole thing again. Yeah, um, yeah it'd be fun. That was another reason why it was it was easy to sell that car. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, I wouldn't do this the same way again. Interesting. Um, what do you think about the GLTC tire rule change for next year? Because <laughs> I know. Um, never mind. Somewhere else. Hello. Yep. Yep. You're good. Oh. Okay. You said I know what. Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say something, but I'll just let you talk. Oh, okay. Um, all right. The I'm going into another room here. Um, the so I've actually conferred with Adam a bunch about that. Um, more just him asking, "Hey, you know, tell me what you know about these particular tires." Blah blah blah. Right. Um, so uh, I think certainly from a perception standpoint. Um, it is a good thing. Um, I think the, um, the number of quality laps you can get out of a properly handled 200 treadwear set of tires is larger than the number of Primo laps you can get out of an R7. Um, I mean, I have experience with both. I run R7s on my NASA stuff and I run 200 for everything else. Um, and so I think that that's, that is a truth. Um, many of the 200 treadwear tires right now, though, do benefit from shaving. Um, and it's not something that was the case for a while there with the Bridgestone and the Rival S didn't really benefit from it. But the, uh, the RT660 and the Yokohama 8052 definitely do. I'm guessing that the CR1 does as well, although I haven't really ever shaved a set to be able to tell, but given that it's pretty much a Yokohama, uh, I would expect that to be the case too. I don't think a Goodyear Supercar 3 cares. Um, yeah. Let's see, what are some of the other ones? Um, the, the, the oh yeah, Connect. the, the, the mission. Yeah, Sport Connect. In fact, I'm staring at a set of those right over there right now. Um, those, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't know that they really, really benefit from it. So, but shaving is the big thing that people are talking about you know, saying, oh gosh, well then you'll just shave a set of tires down to yeah, two thirty seconds it, it, it for every session like, and all like that. But I don't think like anybody's going to really do that. Everybody, everybody says that the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, people could have run a fresh set of our sevens for every single session and they weren't. Right. Um, and I guarantee you a sticker set is worth more you know, is, is worth some lap time over a not sticker set. Yes. Um, it absolutely is. And so if that wasn't happening already, then people aren't going to be shaving them, you know, two thirty seconds, um, for every session either. Uh, my guess is people will run a set a week, uh, a weekend, um, and maybe two weekends. Um, and, you know, beyond that, the number of heat cycles you start to put on them will degrade them to some degree. Um, you know, and so, uh, you certainly won't wear them out, but here's here's where the real the real benefit is though, testing. Yeah. As a guy who tests all the time, you can get some really 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 consistent testing on street tires. It's hard, much harder to do that with with Hoosiers. Much harder to do that, um, and you can do all kinds of testing on stuff on your car and your suspension and stuff like that. And if your tires aren't consistent, um, which it's much harder to get the Hoosiers to be consistent um, over the life of the tire then you're testing your tire and you're not testing the other thing. 
that you were really trying to test. And so that's where I think the biggest benefits are, uh, is, is in that. And in fact, you know, going back to, I guess, asked earlier about, you know, when did I kind of really get into doing the testing thing? That was part of it too, is when I went into the street touring category for autocrossing and, um, it was street tires and I could, I could afford to do the testing because the tires were lasting a long time and they were consistent. And so I could test lots of different things, uh, and back to back to back, you know, ABA testing, um, and, and learn about it. So I think ultimately it will be a good thing. Um, I also think that uh, some of the heat characteristics of the tires will add to the potential drama of the situation. Yes. Um, and I also think, that. yeah. And, and I'm also, I also think that in the wet, not having Hoosier H2Os or whatever they call them now um, is, is a great thing because that tire is just cheating in the wet. You're <laughs> you preaching to the choir here. It's as... just magic in the wet. It's just, it's just stupidly good in the wet. Um, and, you know, whereas a set of Continental ECS or Michelin Pot Sport for us are great rain tires, but you still know it's wet oh, yeah. <laughs> and you still have to drive like it's wet. Um, so you're still going to want those as dedicated, you know, rains versus what you run in the dry, even though you could run them in the dry, but you'll be at a disadvantage. But, uh, but you know, you, if you have those one set of those for the whole year for the wet, you know, you're fine. Where those H2Os, you light the fuse on them and you're not going to be running them a whole bunch of times if you happen to get multiple rain weekends because they degrade, you know, again, uh, pretty well. well. And in those intermediate well. conditions, that's, that was mm-hmm. one of my big things. And something yeah. we didn't, we honestly didn't even see until this last uh, race at Road America. I was shocked that more teams weren't running intermediates because sure. you had your R7s and then you had your H2Os. And if those H2Os saw much dry, like they would disappear. And those R7s, once they cool down, they just, you're going to be along for the ride. Like, I was really surprised we didn't see more teams with AO52s or um, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. AO52 is a great intermediate tire. Yeah. Super good. Super good. Um, So, but anyway, that's my thought. I I think it'll ultimately be a good thing. And and I think that the, um, you just have to watch. I mean, if people do decide they're going to start going crazy with the shaving thing. There are ways around that with marking tires and stuff like that. Um, but I, but that becomes an administrative headache. And and I think that's one of those things where just don't go there. Cause if you go there, then the solution will get implemented and you still won't be able to go there, but then it'll just be a big hassle for everybody. So just don't do it. Right. <laughs> you know, don't be that guy. Well, that's not going to be me. Um, that's I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course it's racing and, and you know, somebody will be that guy, but yeah. hopefully not. Yeah, that's that's not going to be the reason I'm not winning. <laughs> it's because I'm not. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, well, is there anything uh, you need to plug? Any uh, any people you need to say hi to? Um, Besides as your always, dear wife Anne, who makes the uh, yeah, best yeah, cookies yeah. ever. Uh, yeah, she does. Uh, she's not coming this year, by the way. What? Just so you know. Yes, she's not coming. Wait, wait, so wait, she, wait. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Stop that. <laughs> Why isn't she coming? So okay, so. Pretty much every year uh, around this time, the route comes out and she goes, I'm not going. And she usually finds something in the route. It's like this year, it's the big long transit. Uh, but she, she hasn't been having that much fun the last couple of years anyway. Um, and so, uh, but 
for whatever reason, you know, in particular after the wreck and all like that, she, she's like, Oh, I need to be there you know, next time and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, she, she kind of did it. Um, and I, and I appreciate it. I love having her there. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just not the same with other people. And I did it one year without her when, when, our, uh, um, one of our grandkids was born, it turns out the kid ended up coming early anyway, but, um, I had one of the guys from the magazine, um, that year go with me. Uh, but she's, I'm pretty darn sure she's not going this year. Um, so I have someone lined up, um, and, uh, uh, as a, as a transit driver. Uh, so yeah, it's quite possible you won't see her this year. Um, well, that's a so, but anyway, uh, speaking of the magazine, uh, grassroots motorsports, um, uh, you know, I have to plug the magazine. A lot of what I get to do comes as a result of the magazine connection. Um, so all the tire testing stuff and all like that, and, uh, has, has come via the magazine and that's, that's just been a great thing. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here staring at like, there's probably 10 sets of tires right there. And uh, I've got like six sets of tires for three different cars. Uh, I've got a storage unit with a bunch of tires in it. And just, it's just craziness. Um, you know, which is great. Cause I get, you know, essentially a lot of tires that I get to burn through. Of course, a lot of them are tires. I don't really want to burn through. <laughs> not, not every tire is the quickest. Um, but, uh, but it does help. And, and, uh, plus that's, that's introduced me a lot of uh, cool people to, Cool connections and stuff and i've learned a lot from talking to tire engineers and people like that and so that's been a great connection and and um and i love work, working with the guys at the magazine um you know tim sutter and i go way way back um and so it's just kind of fun watching our kids grow up and stuff like that and so now it's kind of cool for him with a second generation uh tom especially um getting involved with the magazine as he has uh, and stuff. And I was working with him on that 350Z project and looking forward to doing some more stuff. Uh, so yeah, the magazine, and, and here's the thing with the magazine, you know, I, I don't know why, I mean, even if you don't want to read the print version, uh, there's this thing called GRM plus, mm-hmm. which allows you to get, they're starting to put all, a lot of the feature articles, particularly the tire tests and things like that. They're putting them online yes. before they even make them into the, into the print magazine. So if you're a subscriber, you get access to that. Or if you just become a member of this GRM plus thing, it's super cheap. Um, you get to read that stuff. So, um, like you can read the tire tests as soon as they get, you know, printed up, um, before anybody else gets to see them and, and it's like super cheap. So, um, you know, in worst case, if you want to get a subscription at least four or five times a year, they do a $10 a year subscription. If you can't afford $10, uh, for access to all that kind yeah, of information let's, let's uh, be come honest on. car, car yeah, yeah. people spend way dumber amounts of money yeah. on yeah, yeah, yeah. things yeah so you know and even if you paid full price it's like 20 bucks but, but even at that you get a free t-shirt i mean it, it's anyway so um it, it just cracks me up so many times when, when people are you know, they want to know well tell me what the results of the test were and i said buy a magazine yeah. <laughs> i mean come on yeah. You know, I can't afford it. I don't want to. What? <laughs> so anyway, th- th- those guys um, do a great job, and I, mean, I got some sponsors for some of my cars and stuff like that. Like Redshift uh, does shocks for me and things, and Nine Four Nine and people like that. Um, but uh, um, the magazine is the is the big connection there. So, well, Andy, thanks a lot for taking some time out, especially after uh, such a long uh, <laughs> long trip by yourself. Long strange trip. Yep. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. We are at track walking, uh, track. No, I got that wrong. Let me try that. At track walking podcast. Nailed it. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram and he's not there, so he'll have to take our word for it. Um, and oh yeah, I can tell you about 
so if you want to see, so I don't have like my own stuff on Facebook, but all my cars have their own pages. Yeah. So if you want to follow the McLaren, it's one lap McLaren. If okay. you want to follow the CRX, it's one lap CRX. If you want to see the the build of the old Miata, it's one lap Miata. There's a theme. Um, there's a theme there. Yeah. And so anyway, if you want to find those, uh, that, and there's another one called Hollis Racing, which used to be in my autocross stuff. Um, but it's starting to be just sort of the catch-all of other stuff in there, too. So if you just look up Hollis Racing. Uh, so those four pages have all like all my stuff uh, on there. Um, so if you want to uh, see what I'm up to, um, I do keep those uh, uh, going pretty regularly. So that, that would be the, the only social media I do. Nice. <laughs> well, follow those. Pay attention. Andy, thank you. For the three of us here, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Andy. Thanks for having me, guys. Later. You got it.